0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast in the past, you know I've talked to people from all parts of the country, from south of Florida to Alaska, from Maine to Hawaii, all points in between, from U.S. Senate down to school board, though don't want to say down to because school board is so important. One election I think is very important, and maybe the most important kind of election in the country, is our state legislatures, which do not get enough attention from people. And um, we often have some of the most egregious or some of the best legislation happening on a state level, depending on where you are. Today I'm happy to go back to a state that I don't think I can talk to enough, and that is Ohio, to talk to a state legislator who's going to be one of my new best friends because she's doing awesome work in Ohio. Her name is Jessica Miranda. Jessica, thank you so much for talking today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Councilman.
0: So, I, I like Ohio, actually, even though I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, I have family that's from Ohio, probably not from where you are, but they are from Cadiz, which I can't find on a map. Uh, so, um, but you, um, you're, you're there. What, tell me a little bit about where in Ohio you are, because it is more diverse than people might think. Absolutely.
1: So, I am from the southwestern tip of Ohio. Um, in the Cincinnati area, my county is called Hamilton County, mm-hmm. and so we border both Kentucky and Indiana. Um, and my district is actually the twenty eighth district, or as I like to call it, the Great Twenty Eight. And I represent about twelve suburbs north of Cincinnati.
0: And I I remember when I was I don't know thirteen or so, like way back in the night, like ninety two or ninety three, going out to. Cincinnati because my dad did have a relative there um who was since he passed away and he was an older uncle so that's my experience with Cincinnati and even though I'm a Steelers fan I did root for the Bengals last year
1: awesome well thank you for that who day all the way uh
0: so but you you've been there for a while and but you haven't been in elected office your whole life um and you haven't been involved in politics your whole time life either I assume uh When did you go from being someone who would just vote to becoming more active in the political process to um, whether it's volunteering or becoming a candidate yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started in my daughter's PTA. Um, I saw a need um, you know, to be involved as a mom in my children's school. Um, I grew up in a single mom household where, you know, my mother was oftentimes working multiple positions and she couldn't do those kinds of things to be involved in our schooling, let alone extracurricular activities. I didn't even know, you know, what that meant until I got to high school and had the ability to actually participate in those. Um, so I wanted to make sure that when I had kids, I was highly involved you know, to the point of it probably being annoying and embarrassing to my children now. Um, But started with the PTA, uh, got involved there, rose up to the rank of vice president in our PTA, uh, saw the need for some changes that were needed in our buildings, and was approached by a group of moms um, who suggested running for school board. And so at that time, we had a number of school board seats open, Um, And we got a group of us and banded together to run as a slate and even two of those on the slate ran as a duo, um, which was myself and another woman named Dr. Johnson. And, you know, uh, that was my first run at local political office and to my surprise we won both of us placed at the top of the uh t- the ticket the vote getters of, of the evening and in 2014 I was sworn in to serve on the Wintonwood Woods City School Board um and then quickly after that rose to the rank of vice president and then president and served as the board president um for the last three years of my term there um and I will say that gave me a front row seat to see how much the state legislature affects our school systems. Mm. Right. How how many things they pass in any given general assembly that either hurts or harms our public school s- system. So um, and also it gave me a reality check on what school funding is in our state here in Ohio Um, and for those that don't know just to give you a little bit of context our school funding system has been deemed unconstitutional since before I was born in the early 80s Um, and was something that no one uh, well you know could fix right so that is what led me to want to run for the state general assembly um, the state legislature and my goal was to fix school funding, right, to alleviate that burden off of property tax owners um, and or property owners via the property tax system here in Ohio um, and, you know, make a robust school funding system, a fair school funding system that we know we can and should have here in Ohio.
0: Yeah, and it seems like the people in office, especially higher as you go, Um, are a bit out of touch when it comes to schools. They don't have kids in schools, and even in school boards themselves. The average age of a school board member is in their late 50s. Um, What was your experience working with other school board members? Because you said you had a slate, so obviously you started out with some friends.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, just realizing that you are always, you know, in those types of positions, even, you know, arguably a little bit for the, the state legislature as well, you are joining a governing entity right? You are not joining an office where what you say goes. You have to build camaraderie and support amongst a majority of your colleagues in order to pass anything and in order to get anything done. So I knew going in that those relationships were very, very important to build. Um, And you know, the age thing that you mentioned is absolutely accurate. I was elected in 2013. um, And I was the youngest member ever. Um, I believe, to be elected as vice president and president. So to serve my school district as a young mom in that capacity was a big deal. Um, But I had built the relationships with my colleagues. I had built the relationships with the administration as well as many, many community members and fellow parents um, to be able to gain that trust, you know, that they needed to have in me to execute the things we needed to do for our school district. And we did a number of things. Um, But, you know, to go back to your question, I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things had I not gathered the support um, from my colleagues whose votes on that entity mattered, right? Mm -hmm. There were five of us, meaning it would take three of us to pass and do anything. And some votes even required four of us Mm -hmm. to pass and do anything. So, um, you know, and we were from all different walks of life all different ages. Um, I was the only one who actually had children in the school district because my children were young enough. Um, And, you know, they were from all political backgrounds as well. There were Democrats, there were Republicans, and there were Independents. And we, we knew we had to work together to do what we were there to do, which is to make the best quality education system for the, t- the children, and make sure it was the best educational system it could be for the staff and our educators.
0: And I, I really think that for the most part, this isn't true for everybody, but for the most part, if you're deciding to put in the effort to be on school board, um, you know, you, your heart is in a good place. But I know even in my local school board, there have been there usually are not that many people who have kids in the district. Maybe they did have kids in the district, or they're they're running because of something that's not related to kids. There, like they're running for property tax issues and not for kids necessarily. Um, How can we get more people who have kids to become school board members? And is that an important goal that we should have?
1: Yeah, I definitely believe it is an important goal we should have because I think it's important to the community and to all of the stakeholders in any given school district um, to have people at the table, especially, you know, that top table, the folks who are making decisions, um, be well versed and know what is going on on the ground level. Right. Because. That, I think, is the difference in perspective it gives someone who has kids in the school system versus someone who does not have children in the school system. Um, I do think, however, when you have folks that may be more, I'll call them more seasoned than I, um, that have had children go through and graduate through the school system, that is also a benefit um, just because they don't have you know school-age children there doesn't necessarily disqualify them. Um, but I will say, given the last local election we had, and I'm sure you all saw it in your state as well, this whole, um, you know, rise of these anti-folks, um, the anti-everything folks right. who came out, ran for local school boards and, you know, unfortunately in some places won a number of seats and we're seeing the, the negative effects from that. I know we have a school district here in my county called Forest Hills School District um, that just passed a resolution. Um, you know, to I don't know what the clever name they're calling it is because whatever they're calling it is not accurate. Um, but basically it's a, a anti-CRT, a, a anti um, teaching both sides of, you know, uh, they want to teach both sides of, of racism and both sides of slavery and both sides of the Holocaust and you know all, all these crazy things. It's just so interesting to me that these folks, who perhaps don't have any children in the school district, or perhaps have no genuine interest or the heart to be there, as you mentioned before, have successfully infiltrated these governing entities and are now making lasting bad decisions that are really going to hurt those school systems um, for decades.
0: Yeah, you know, there's extremism that we haven't seen on a school board level and local council level before, because, you know, I'm on council and we've had... Republicans who some of whom I didn't like um some of whom were Democrats who I did not care for too like it was usually parochial local issues though um okay. and then also Republicans who I liked a lot and I'd be like I don't want to run against them like let them stay there um what do you think is driving that do you think it's like social media just um the the higher elected officials is there some cause and effect that maybe we could kind of put a stop to as a parent would want to do or, or are we doomed
1: Um, I mean, my, my answer is going to be very political and I just simply think it's because one of the major parties in this country has allowed their party to be overtaken by extremism. Mm -hmm. I mean, the rise in extremism that we're both seeing on the school board level, as well as, um, perhaps in some places, the local city council area, um, but also in our state legislatures, is just really unfounded it's you know it's nothing we have seen um before and i i find it so oxymoronic because everything they say is the exact opposite of everything they do Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm it's 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 interesting to me that you know they'll they'll go out here and they'll grind really hard on the campaign trail and make all of these promises about small government and, you know, big government staying out of your personal decisions and liberty and all of this, that and the other. But in fact, they're legislating the opposite way. They are creating big government. They are inserting big government into your private decisions. And they are legislating government overreach day in and day out. Um, In places where, you know, maybe their party has not uh, traveled before, they are certainly blazing that trail of extremism. And I don't think that's what any parent or local elected official wants to see in their local government or in their state house. Um, So this this is a really, really bad you know era of time uh, where we all those of us who i consider you know the the sane the moderate the practical folks have to fight harder to keep those extremists out of these seats
0: you know i see here in pennsylvania after the 2020 election there was a new york times article about so many of our legislators who who signed a letter to undo our my vote our vote in, in the presidential election and I know, and you probably know this from your colleagues. They didn't really believe it, right? Like, I've seen testimony from some of them on from the January 6th Commission who, uh, when once they're uh, you know under oath, their tone is a little bit different. But one of those people was quoted in the New York Times as saying that they were afraid that their house would be firebombed if they didn't go along with this. Is is that part of the issue that like a lot of these people are not just believing it, but they're afraid? of the base of voters that they've kind of thrown gasoline upon all this time.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's come to that point, right? They have stoked the flames for so long and now they have no hope in putting them out. They, they, the flames have gotten out of control and now they're dealing with a wildfire situation that is even difficult for them um, to figure out how to fix. Right. And I think that is the exact predicament they're in at this moment in time in trying to wade those waters and figure out how they can get, you know, the, their caucuses, their their party back to a sense of normal instead of a sense of being in, in, in constant fire mode.
0: Yeah, so now you're in the state legislator, legislature. That's kind of tough. It's mm-hmm. legislator and legislator. Yeah, um, it's a
1: hard word. <laughs> uh,
0: so, but you saw the impact, is, is, was it the impact from those state decisions on education that was the impetus for running um what was the thing that shocked you the most or you had to learn the most about becoming a candidate for that level of office some of the barriers you said yeah just the things that like you were surprised that you had to learn to do or things that because you're a first-time candidate for that level of office were you prepared to do it or like oh i didn't realize i had to do x y or z some people are ready for it right from the start and but i think most people there's a little bit of a learning curve no matter what
1: yeah i think so i think there's you know there's a learning curve in everything we do i will say not so much on the official side you know i was i was never scared about or worried about not having the chops to do the job um because let's be honest there's a very low threshold to run for you know local office of any kind mm-hmm. here in the States. I mean, you just have to be 18 uh, different ages for different offices, but talking locally, you need to be 18, uh, registered voter and live in either the district, um, or for the school district's sake, the school district in which you're running for. Um, So I I think in terms of that, folks should realize, especially folks listening to this podcast, um, should realize that they are qualified and they can do this work and that we need them, quite frankly, to step up and do this work All the way from the schoolhouse to the courthouse to the statehouse and to the White House because we need more regular people, you know, parents, moms, business owners in office making these decisions instead of these, you know, extremist politicians who seem to only care about these one issue things that they spin out of control. Um, So I will say the the challenges arise, I think, on the campaigning side, right? I think um, unless you find people who know how to do this work, you know, get get a campaign consultant and some campaign finance people, some of these things can be a little overwhelming. You know, I don't think anything is ever as challenging um, where someone can't figure out and can't rise to the occasion. Um, But there are some step by step things in the foundation of a campaign when you're choosing to run for a state house office um, that you need to get in order before doing so. So you don't get in trouble with, you know, campaign finance laws and things of that nature. So as long as you find someone who can, you know, walk you through that kind of process and the logistics of things, um, you should be good to go.
0: Now, you were good to go after you won your election, but you won your election by a very small amount of votes, right? 56 votes is what I looked up. Uh, That's
1: right. Thank you for getting that number right. <laughs>
0: and now when you won, um, how did you recover from the heart attack? Because I'm sure you had, <laughs> it was a lot very stressful. But really, like, was the reaction from your opposition, from people, was it sane and okay? And do you think that it would have been the same reaction had you done that, that same election in 2022 with that result?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question, actually. I have not thought about that in that context before, but I would imagine it would have been a very different response um, had it been after, you know, this whole blow-up of the big lie, right? Um, But, you know, at this moment in time, it was in 2018, before any of this had happened, um, and, you know, it was very, very close on election night. You know, we were down by about... Uh, A little less than 300 votes, I think, um, on election night. But we knew we had a couple thousand of provisional votes, Mm -hmm. uh, absentee ballots that still needed to be counted. So there was still hope, right? Mm -hmm. There was still hope, but I wasn't getting my hopes up, right? Um, And then after the recount was done, Um, we were informed that we indeed did win the seat by 56 votes and there were some folks that called it a landslide and there were some folks that said just barely. So, you know, there's always going to be those alternating opinions on either side of it. But um, for the most part, the opposition uh, stayed calm and, and didn't voice, you know, maybe some of the things that they said behind closed doors out in public. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it, it was it was pretty civil. Um, the torch was passed, and we won, right? So that's it, kind of at the end of the day. You win, you go to new member orientation, and you get started doing the legislative work.
0: Yeah, our local candidate for mayor, who uh, is my friend, she ended up winning last year by seven votes. Uh, oh, so- wow. It's a small town, but still, like, she was down by a few dozen votes on election night and was very down, like, just wait, just wait, just wait, because our votes, we know. And so, thankfully, the person she was running against, who in other ways is very conservative, um, is a reasonable person on things and, like, did not, like, burn it all down waiting for it. So, um, yeah. Now, you've, you had the experience in uh, as a school board member, and we talk about things you can do as a school board member and some of the attacks there that are happening on education, um, and we know some of everyone pays attention to who the president is and what they do. People think the president is omnipotent for some reason, um, but what are the issues that are most important that a state legislature can do or should do now that you've been there? Like, wow, we have the power to do this. Why? aren't we doing it? Like, what do you think is something that you know is within your power if you had enough allies that you would like to accomplish?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And first let me start out by saying state house races matter, Yeah, right? State house races matter for everything. And I think this is what the average voter does not realize. You know, we're, we're so distracted by what's going on in Washington, DC that we don't pay attention to these state house races and our state uh, wide races and our gubernatorial races, for that matter, when these are the folks actually deciding everything that matters to your family's bottom line, um, right? I mean, it's, we, we control the state biennium budget. That is an over $60 billion budget that funds every single thing in this state, you know, from disability and uh, services to libraries to our first responders to school funding, right? And I think the main thing that I would love to fix if I had all of the allies lined up in a way that would allow it to pass. I think it would be a combination of of three things actually. Well, now I'm thinking of a fourth thing. I mean the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. But I will say the thing that would be the most impactful to Ohioans at this moment in time is the very thing I ran for in both 2016 and 2018. Um, And that is finally fixing school funding here in Ohio. Now we did this in my first term um, by passing the fair school funding plan. The issue is, is we put it into the budget And so now it is only good as every two years that we go back to and work on and pass the budget, right? And you're familiar with this as a councilman. However, often you all pass your budget. And for me, as a previous school board president, we passed a budget every four years because it was a four-year term. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that shows you how it's already out of line here in Mm -hmm. Ohio, right? Because we have over 600 school districts out here (coughs) talking about four-year, five-year forecasts, and the school district is only giving them an answer of what they're going to get every two years. So how can we require a school system to create a five-year forecast when they have no idea what school funding will be (laughs) in Mm -hmm. any given two years, right? It's like asking them to constantly play a guessing game. Um, And so I would love to fix that in a permanent way here in Ohio, instead of having it, you know, uh, weighing in the wind every two years to see what the makeup of the state house is and who would support it and who wouldn't support the renewal of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that first and foremost would be my top priority. And that is important not only for our future generation of children and students, but that's important for our teachers. And that's important for our school systems who need to know what their allocation is going to be to know how to fund their quality education provided in their community. And I would be remiss if I didn't point out that that's important to property owners, right? The people who the burden is, it's currently on, it's heavy on their shoulders to pay for property tax um, increases when the state isn't kicking in the fair share. Um, So that, that is huge to, you know, give property owners a break. Right. And, mm-hmm. and to finally stop that tax shifting um, that's been happening for decades now. And then I would couple that with saying there was something Governor Kasich did uh, back when he was governor of Ohio, where he basically um, cut the local government fund. And you'll be familiar with this since you're on a local council. Um, he cut our local government funds to the tune of 50 percent. And they have not been restored since. So that means all of our cities, villages, and townships were used to having budgets that were X amount, and overnight, they had to go to a budget that was half of that, mm. right? And that affects everyone, you know? I mean, look at, look at the city you live in, the village you live in, the township you live in. Do you have proper first responder services? Is the you know the landscaping and the the way your community looks by the city workers and the facility workers the maintenance workers is that being well taken care of you know do you have potholes are you getting flat tires from running through those things on that certain street that just can never seem to get fixed right all of those things do you have a great public library in your community you know all all of these things come back to the local government fund and how the One party rule here in Ohio has completely assaulted that fund over the past 10 years, uh, 12 years, excuse me. And they have never restored it to the amount that we should have in those funds so that cities themselves can also stop that game of tax shifting, right? right? So they can stop putting fire levies on the ballot, police levies on the ballot. You know, there's no reason why we should have all of these local governments putting all of these tax levies on the ballot if the state was properly funding them in the first in place.
0: Yeah. You know? Because like for us, we want, we actually do want to hire more police, but hiring a police officer costs a hundred thousand dollars with all things That's included. Right. And so for our budget to hire a full-time police officer or multiple, we have to be considering, do we have enough money this year and the next few years? Cause you're not going to hire a police officer for a few months. Right. With especially the investment in training. So it is very hard to make those predictive policies. And, and like in, private business. Cause you, you know, that like you make predictions for the next few years I and mean, you can't do that as well. If government's not acting that way.
1: That's right. And it, it brings me back to the big part of their message in 2020 that I was able to beat back and keep my seat when I ran my first reelection campaign is that, you know, the big message of 2020 was they were calling all of us Democrats, the folks who wanted to defund the police. Right. Though I've never said any of those words ever because that is not something i believe in at all and they would still use that you know those talking points against us and i would just turn it around on them and say you know you all are right. the ones who have defunded the police because you have cut our local government funds by 50 percent over the last 12 years and you have never restored it how do you expect us to pay for police how do you expect us to pay for that new ambulance that that city needs or that new fire engine that that village needs, you know? This is why we see here in Ohio, and people I think don't realize this on a minute level, that all cities and villages sometimes are banding together and creating shared services, right? Mm-hmm. They're cutting their their first responding departments and sharing them amongst each other because it's more affordable, right? right. Because. Their budget can't sustain it on its own anymore, and people need to realize that all comes from the state legislature, right? It's like that old saying, and I can't remember who said it, but it's like, show me your budget and I'll tell you what you care about and Mm -hmm. where your values are. You know, if you look at Ohio's state budget, sometimes it's questionable, you know, the things that they do. And they, the Republican Party, which is our majority party, and we have a super majority here in Ohio, they go around and say, you know, that do these back-the-blue rallies and say that they always stand up for our first responders, when in fact, their voting record says something quite opposite.
0: Yeah, it's, and I think almost every Democratic council, you know, Democrat, Republican or Democrat, but particularly Democrats, we say... If you had the got money from a state, Ohio, Pennsylvania, or otherwise, that said you have an extra $500,000 a year to spend on police training or officers, we would be thrilled. Like we need that money. Like it is, a, it is something that a town needs. Like if you said we have money for business development, great. That's good too. We'll apply for that. But if there is sustainable money for something, a service that our community expects, that we want that money.
1: That's right. That's right. And, You know, I I should say and I should point out that the reason why we can't talk about these things, right, the the things that actually matter to the bottom line of families or municipalities, is because here in Ohio particularly, we have been distracted by all of these extreme bills that are literally taking us away from doing the work that actually matters to the people of Ohio, right? For instance, our six-week abortion ban. Right. Mm -hmm. All of the heinous gun bills we have passed this General Assembly. You know, Ohio is now an open. It was always an open carry state, but now it's a permitless carry state. And as someone who has always held a concealed carry permit myself, it's still alarming for me to say that out loud. So now you don't even need a permit here in Ohio. And they also passed the murder first shoot later bill. Um, otherwise known as their clever way of calling it the stand your ground bill. But we know that that's not what it is. It's actually a murder first ask questions later uh, bill when we already had the castle doctrine here in Ohio. And then thirdly, they passed a bill to arm teachers, you know, and, and put tons of funding in it for, you know, things that go back to line their pockets and their, and their, you know, special interest groups pockets. So it is just maddening that, Oh, and the, and the latest thing we had to talk about before we broke on summer recess is children's genitals, right? They made us debate on the floor in the wide open because they just don't care anymore. They're saying all of the quiet parts out loud um, about internal and external genital exams for girls. And it is just blowing us away that we have completely gotten so far from The practicality of what government should be and what legislating should be for the betterment of the people that we were elected to serve and do these jobs for to talking about things that A, either don't exist or B, make absolutely no sense and don't matter um, to, to what is actually going on here in Ohio. So it is a hot, hot mess in the Ohio state house. And we need to make sure that we are vetting candidates properly. And also too, that we're building that pipeline of folks to come behind me and others, you know, to, to hold this down when we're turned out.
0: Very quickly. How much of that do you think is that they really are that personally extreme and how much of it is they, that because of gerrymandering, and that's a long conversation for Ohio. So I only have a few minutes, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how much of that is because they really are that extreme personally and how much of it is because they, that is who they're accountable to now because of the districts and so they feel they have to be?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a small percentage, a small percentage of them actually believe those extremist ideals. They've completely drank the Kool-Aid and they're just deep into it. And unfortunately can't get themselves out and educate themselves. Um, A lot of them though, uh, I believe are just paid actors, Mm -hmm. right? They are receiving a government paycheck um, to go out there and act a fool just like the rest of them, you know? And I think that is what is unfortunate about where we are in state politics here in Ohio, because you don't have you don't have the ability to elect the people who really and genuinely care about your best interest as their constituent in most districts here in ohio and i won't go into it because i know gerrymandering is a long conversation that <laughs> could take three or four more podcasts <laughs> but in most districts here and that's why we ended up with the supermajority that we've ended up with you you don't have a choice your vote does not matter in those extreme districts because the primary election is the only election that is determining who your representative is going to be.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate because the people of Ohio, um, you know, even if they're Browns fans, they're decent people and they deserve <laughs> good representation, right? Like,
1: <laughs> that is right. Everyone deserves good representation and they deserve, you know, someone who really looks at themselves as a public servant and not a politician, right? Right. And that's what I pride myself on is I frequently use the hashtag on my social media posts that say I work for you because truly I believe that, you know, the over 126,000 people here in the great 28, whether they voted for me or not, they get a public servant. I'm going to always look out for their best interests.
0: Yeah, and I hope hope that. If we elect better people, we can change the tone of what a politician means. Because politicians shouldn't be mm-hmm. a bad thing. It's of the people, right? And unfortunately, that's right. because of these extremisms, because of uh, unaccountability, it's become a bad word. And that's something we need to fix. But something that is a good word is candidate, especially getting good people to run. Very quickly, um, how can people follow you to learn more? And mm-hmm. what would be your number one reason why people should consider running for office? Now, maybe not this week, but just like what would be your number one reason people should run?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with the second question first. Um, The best reason I can tell you and, you know, the reason why you need to run is because we need you. Right. Democracy needs you. Um, We need good people practical people, sane people, non-extremist people to run for all levels of office. And hey, listen, if you're not ready for the state house, start on your local school board, start mm-hmm. in your local city or village council or your local township trustee board, start local. That's what I did. And that is really, truly how you learn the most. Of all of the different levels of government and how they interact or should interact with each other. And that is the best way for us to build the pipeline. And it is also the best way for you to decrease your learning curve moving through those different levels of office, right? Um, and then how folks can follow me, of course, Facebook.com slash Jessica4Ohio, and that's F-O-R, Jessica for Ohio. And then also on Instagram, on Twitter. And on TikTok, that's right, I am on TikTok, so be sure to check me out if you need a new TikTok person to follow. Hit that plus sign. It is at Jessica E. Miranda. So my first name, middle initial E as in Elaine, last name Miranda altogether. Well, and thank you so much for having me, Tony.
0: Yeah, I know that Jessica, you know, Jessica Miranda, speaking of Miranda rights, is fighting for all sorts of rights, voting rights, women's rights, abortion rights uh, education rights, all those things. And, but you can only get there if you're in office. Uh, Jessica, I really admire what you're doing in Ohio and I think we need need more people like you. So I wish you the best of luck and hopefully people are encouraged by your story.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Keep up the great work too in Pennsylvania and let me know if I can ever come back and chat again.
0: You're always welcome in Pennsylvania. You can always come back here, and hopefully, we'll introduce you to um, you know. We sometimes we like out of state people unless they have a show on TV where they talk about fake medicine, like uh, this guy running for Senate.
1: That's right. Make sure you get your crudités, is that how it's pronounced? Your, your veggie trays, all that good stuff. Not like
0: you guys don't get out-of-state elitists running for your Senate offices either.
1: <laughs> hey, that's absolutely right.
0: So we have that thing After in common, That too. we
1: have in common, that's right. <laughs> Thank
0: you so much, and if you're listening, hopefully you'll be inspired and you'll run for office, too.